Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at NewBalance.com. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hello and welcome into the 24-7 Sports Football Recruiting Podcast. I'm National Recruiting Analyst Cooper Patekno alongside 24-7 Sports Director of Scouting Andrew Ivins. we got a great show for you today right here on the 24-7 Sports YouTube channel. Jim Harbaugh, what's going on with that man, the Michigan man who just won a national title in Ann Arbor? Well, L.A. Chargers are calling. He's got his second interview with the Atlanta Falcons. We'll talk about that in a second and what Michigan might do if Harbaugh decides to leave for the NFL. Outside of that, 2023 five stars, not 2024, not 2025, 2023. We'll revisit the top eight of the 24-7 sports rankings in 2023. Kind of see how those guys fared and what the future holds for those guys as well. And then we'll get to viewer questions. So we've got a loaded show today, but we'll start as we always start. Drew, I believe you have one little thing. Well, Coop, we just finalized the 2024 rankings and we had the early signing period, a lot of hay in the barn, but let's not forget National Signing Day, that traditional one, February 7th, right around the corner. And I was on 24-7 Sports this morning looking at the latest commit list. And, Cooper, I think some teams are still adding some difference makers out there, right? There's not – it's a unique market. People have been in the transfer portal. They've pivoted to 2025 and for good reason. But take a look at Pittsburgh landing wide receiver Tyreek Robinson out of Louisiana. This is a kid that a lot of people thought wasn't going to qualify I think he's a baller, Cooper. And I was talking to someone there at Pittsburgh who thinks he could be another Tank Dell. State qualifier in the 100-meter dash, state qualifier in the long jump. Dude, you turn on this kid's highlight tape, he doesn't get tackled for five minutes. So I guess my one little thing is, while we're all focused on the underclassmen, we're all focused on the transfer portal, uh, there's still some high school talent out there, and teams are taking advantage of this limited market, right? Uh, they're going to get some difference makers. Tyreek Robinson, a guy that jumps off the page for me. It's a saturated market, as you mentioned. February 7th would be the second signing day, if you want to call it that, or traditional signing day. So right around the corner, we'll have that covered here at 24-7 Sports. Drew, I kind of went through that as well this morning, looking at some recent names that came off the board. How about Robert Bourdon from Tennessee, the offensive tackle? formerly committed to Duke. He decides to flip his commitment to Texas A&M as Mike Elko goes from Duke to College Station. Drew, I like this one. Six foot six, 290 pounds, offensive tackle. I think he could end up playing both sides. You think about the lacrosse background as well. So late in the game here uh, in the 2024 cycle, but a couple names, Drew, that I think we might look back on maybe two to three years from now. It could be uh, Tyreek, um, uh, Tyreek Robinson out of Louisiana as a guy in Pittsburgh or, or this Bourdon guy out of Tennessee that we look, hey, two to three years from now, that's really good talent identification evaluation by both Pitt and Texas A&M there. Almost said Duke. I uh, have to remember that. So there you have it. Yeah, go ahead. 
you almost said Tyreek Hill. <laughs> that almost slipped out of your mouth, did it not? It did. Well, you know what? Watching the tape, hey, maybe some similarities. A really good player there, nonetheless. Uh, guys, just a reminder, make sure to like and subscribe as you are watching the 24-7 Sports Football Recruiting Podcast with Andrew Ivinson, Cooper Patagna. New episodes out every Tuesday, Wednesday at 5 o'clock Eastern Time. We appreciate you guys joining us, especially as we will be your guides for everything you need, college football recruiting, as we shift now into the college football offseason. Drew, we talked about it in the beginning of the show, kind of led with it, so let's not bury the lead. There's been a lot of smoke over the last couple years about Jim Harbaugh flirting with the NFL. Is he ever going to make a return there? Now, after bringing Michigan a national championship, it almost seems imminent at this, uh, at this point in time. Reports coming out that the Chargers, Jim Harbaugh, are within striking distance. He brought his family out to L.A. Uh, for his most recent interview. Other reports coming out that he'll actually have his second interview today with the Atlanta Falcons. So it seems like there will be some options for Jim Harbaugh. We've been down this path before. We don't want to say that, hey, this is happening because, like I said, there's been times where Jim Harbaugh has tested the NFL waters as recent as last year and nothing has come of it. Drew, if he does go, though, right, we, we've seen the roster turnover at places like Alabama. We've seen it at Washington. We've seen it at Arizona in the wake of a guy like Nick Saban departing the Crimson Tide. I don't know if I get that sense or feeling of if that would happen at Michigan, because it seems to me like the most viable option is already in the building. Yeah, I mean, me and you kind of hashed this out this morning in the pre-production meeting in terms of, I know what you're going to say, Sharon Moore, right? He's already in the building. He has been there in Ann Arbor. He was the quote-unquote head coach for a few of those games where Jim Harbaugh had to sit out. And I think you brought up the key point. If Michigan wants to keep that roster in place, keep a guy that the players know, someone that they're familiar with, someone that has been the face on the sidelines. And I think, Cooper, the other thing you brought up is you look at Michigan's roster, right, that projected too deep. It's it's a bunch of guys where it really wasn't high-profile recruitments. Michigan is a player development program, and they've supplemented here and there through the transfer portal. But they're the ones that go and recruit guys with the vision of, all right, he's not going to be ready year one, year two, but year three, year four, year five down the line, he's going to be a big-time contributor for us. So when you look at Michigan, I don't know if it would be like Alabama in terms of, okay, you know, everyone smells blood in the water and they're going to go try to make a run at some of these guys. I I, I just don't know if there's a, a Caleb Downs or a Caden Proctor. Now, this isn't saying that Michigan does not have talent. Uh, I just, I'm not sure how many of those back channels have been worked, uh, especially when you also consider the op other openings we've had since the new year, Arizona, Washington. Um, so, you know, I think Sharon Moore would make the most sense. And I, I believe you agree. Yes, yeah, Sam Webb, who covers Michigan for 24-7 sports, quote unquote, said overwhelmingly likely that Sharon Moore would be the choice if Jim Harbaugh were to leave for the NFL. Drew, I think it's the right move. And, and listen, if I'm Ward Manuel, the AD over there at Michigan, obviously there's a lot of money on the table for Jim Harbaugh right now. Over $11.5 million annually uh, is what is being offered over nine years for Jim Harbaugh right now to stay in Ann Arbor. But if I am Ward Manuel, 
we might have the right candidate in-house, but Michigan is a one-of-one job. I truly believe that, and especially coming off a national championship. You would have to do it quietly, but I have to believe the people, the decision-makers there in Ann Arbor are quietly maybe tossing out some lines out there and kind of seeing what comes back. Drew, if they did open this up, very hypothetical, right? We are getting ahead of ourselves. But if they did open this up, and let's say Sharon Moore was out of the picture for whatever reason that you'd like to decide, is there an external candidate out there that you think maybe makes sense, at least on paper, for this job? I mean, I was looking for some hot boards on the Michigan Insider and, I don't know, a, a variety of different places. I've seen Brian Kelly's name mentioned, which is certainly interesting. The, obviously, the LSU head coach who was at Notre Dame, uh, Lance Leipold's name has been mentioned. The one that stands out to me, Chris Kleinman. Uh, at Kansas State, you know, what he did at North Dakota State, where we think uh, he has that K-State program headed. I think he's a guy that develops talent. Uh, you look at what they've done on the recruiting trail. He's the one that kind of intrigues me a little bit. Uh, but I think it would be a mistake not to look at Sharon Moore. I, I, Coop, any of those jump out to you? I, I mean, I... I thought about this long and hard. I, I really couldn't come up with a name. Yeah, no, I like I like both those names that you brought up with uh, Leipold and Kleiman. You know, the one that I think would be a little bit pie in the sky, and, and, and I'm not even suggesting that Michigan would even go this route. I've always been infatuated with the idea of Luke Fickle, really back when he was at Cincinnati with what he could do with the resources at Michigan. Now he's at Wisconsin. I don't see that happening. Luke Fickle has proven to be one of those guys pretty calculated in terms of his landing spot, his vision for himself and where he sees himself long term. So I've always liked that idea. I don't think that's going to happen. I think what's most likely to play out here, I think Jim Harbaugh does end up leaving for an NFL job. I think LA probably makes the most sense. We know he kind of has a connection to that area as well. I think Jerome Moore is a guy. And Drew, the, the other part of this that we haven't talked about, Jim Harbaugh was suspended six games this season, right? So in, in all of that that has happened this year between uh, the NCAA probe and uh, everything that came back and the sign-stealing scandal, somehow, some way, this could end up being a blessing in disguise for Michigan that a guy like Sharon Moore gets the opportunity to be at the helm of a program like Michigan for an extended amount of time during a championship run. Now you got a guy that, you know, is potentially walking in uh, to one of the best opportunities in all of sport. And he is somewhat ready for the job, understanding the expectations Kind of crazy when you think about that, Drew, how this could turn out for Sharon Moore. And it could be one of those where it's just a nice passing of the torch from Jim Harbaugh to Sharon Moore. Yeah, I don't even know. He's only 37 years old, right? Coached up two offensive line units that won the Joe Moore Award in, in 2021, 2022. And, you know, you could have made a case that they should have won it in 2023 based, based on what Michigan did on the ground in the college football playoff. No, I, I, you, you mentioned Luke Fickle, right? Remember Luke Fickle's path at Ohio State took over as an interim coach and he's gone on to do great things. It seems like it would be some similarities between him and, and Sharon Moore just in terms of, all right, they, they put in the work uh, and then now they're, look, they're ready to go. So we'll see what happens. A, a lot of smoke around Jim Harbaugh right now. Something could happen today. Maybe it will play out a little bit longer, but all eyes 
on Ann Arbor right now. Drew, a couple of the names that we kind of mentioned earlier, we didn't mention any names, but we talked about uh, potential kind of roster defense for a guy like Sharon Moore if he does end up getting the Michigan job. Will Johnson, right, certainly a guy uh, that continues to increase his name recognition and a guy that could be a potential first-rounder down the line. Keon Sab, who has played well for Michigan. Kenneth Grant, the big man in the middle on the defensive line. And then the new guy, Jaden Davis, at the quarterback position. Certainly eyes would be on him. Guys, I told you about Tuesday and Wednesday. Just a reminder, Monday, well, we got some programming as well. How about the college football recruiting show hosted by Emily Proud and a lot of great other talent on there as well. Carl Reed, Smoke Dixon, and the rest of our great crew at 24-7 Sports. Guys, I've said it once, I'll say it again. Please make sure to like and subscribe to the show. Great content being brought to you by our team here at 24-7 Sports. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Drew, we're always looking ahead. We, we talked about 2025 yesterday, the quarterbacks, some of the quarterbacks coming off the board. What, what's really going to shake out there? We had Tom Loy on the show. It's so easy, I feel like, in this industry to kind of continue to have tunnel vision, right? We talk about 2024, we move on to 2025, and then we go on with our lives. I like revisionist history, and I think as the evaluator, it's one of the most beautiful things that you can open your eyes to is, what did you get right? But more importantly, what did you get wrong and why you got it wrong? Now, we are only one year removed uh, from the 2023 class, but it's a great exercise to, to go back and say, hey, how have these guys performed in year one? And maybe what was our projection for an immediate return versus a long-term return? So that's what we're going to do right here at 24-7 Sports. We've got our director of scouting right here to add some great context to it. But we're going to go one through eight. And right here, the highlighted names. How about this already three players within the top eight of the 2023 rankings last year have already entered the transfer portal there you see Dante Moore originally signed with UCLA one and done there now to Oregon with Dan Lanning Katie Proctor back home to Iowa and Caleb Downs as we all know to Ohio State so an interesting wrinkle there as uh, I would say player movement in college football at an all-time high but Drew let's start with Arch Manning you look at Arch you only saw action in two games this year was really Texas's third-string quarterback behind Malik Murphy, started to get, uh, I guess, a little bit more credibility as kind of the solidified backup late in the season. I'm sure there are a lot of uh, balls in the air for Steve Sarkeesian to juggle there, uh, not only with his roster, but the psychology of the locker room as well. So not a lot to go off of, Drew. I guess I'll start here. 
I always thought it was an advantage for Arch to, to step into a competitive room, especially with Malik Murphy there as well. We all knew Quinn Ewers was there, but to have a guy like Malik Murphy, who is now going to be the starter, uh, pre- uh, presumable starter at Duke under Manny Diaz, I thought it was good for him to step in and have some competition, right? To battle for the number two spot. That being said, Quinn Ewers is coming back for another year. Arch is going to sit another year. I'd love to see Arch kind of get some run in the way that a guy like Nico Imelieva got some run this past year, right? I thought Tennessee kind of handled him beautifully. We'll talk about him in a second. Um, But next year, I don't mind Arch Manning sitting for another year, getting another year under his belt, getting his sea legs under him. But I think at some point, Drew, I think Texas, maybe this offseason as they get past the spring, they're going to have to start thinking about, all right, how do we get Arch involved a little bit? Not so much packages, but hey, if we got a three-possession lead going deep into the third, let's try to get this guy some snaps. Well, I think my panic meter, if you're asking that on Arch, is, is, is a zero. And I thought going to Austin was kind of the perfect situation. And what you hear about the Manning camp, why they selected Texas, why he is there playing for, for Steve Sarkeesian, it's all calculated. I thought this was well thought out. Um, not surprised we didn't see much of him. And I think in 2024, like you said, uh, we there's no no longer concern about a redshirt season or anything like that. I think he I think he gets in the games a, a lot more and he's going to need to. And we talk about it all the time with college football. You can have a stud number one quarterback, but you need a guy that's ready to go as your number two. And I think for Arch Manning, that has to be the thought process. I got to be ready to go uh, if something were to happen to Quinn. Uh, look at Florida State this past season with, with Jordan Travis. Tate Rotomaker has to come in. They even have to go to Brock Glenn, the number three. Uh, I think we'll see Arch Manning on the field in 2024 and potentially in some key moments. So I'm not concerned. I, I love this for his developmental path in terms of, okay, you know, was it forced onto the field right away? Uh, like some of these other quarterbacks, and then eventually it's going to be his offense. Yeah, the other point that you bring up is you think Arch Manning will play in key spots next year. Quinn Ewers has been dinged up, right, throughout his first two years in Austin. I wouldn't be surprised either if Arch maybe has to step in, spot duty, start a game or two to get through the season. Long season now, you think about the 12-team college football playoff as well. That comes into the picture. So Arch Manning, very little panic here at 24-7 Sports about the future of his development as well. Now another quarterback at number two, about Nico Imanlieva. And a guy that, Drew, I thought, quite honestly, you think about the timeline of Nico and Tennessee and the expectations. I I feel like Josh Heupel has just handled this whole from the recruitment to the development to now where Nico is the projected starter here in Rocky Top. They've handled it beautifully. And you think about Nico getting run, right, in in the Cheez-Its Bowl against Iowa, and Iowa defense that ranked number four in the country, and Tennessee ends up putting up 35 points, winning that game 35-0, and Nico runs for three touchdowns. Now you got a guy with some confidence heading into the 2024 season as well. Drew, I think it's important to remember, Nico didn't play a lot of ball as a high school uh, junior and senior. So this was a guy that I think needed to sit Like I said, I think Tennessee's had a plan. Sometimes that plan gets shot to hell just based on circumstance and who's available and who isn't. But good fortune for Tennessee's that Joe Milton was able to get through the year. And now you feel really confident about what you got in Nico heading into 2024. Well, I think he raises the ceiling of that offense. And a lot of fans probably didn't know that Nico is that athletic in terms of his ability to take off and run 
and find the end zone. And uh, we were, what, flying to San Antonio kind of in the middle of that bowl game, and then you land, you check the box score, and it's like, whoa, three rushing touchdowns for Nico. Cooper, do not forget, he could have played college volleyball somewhere. He was a guy that was on the freaks list. I mean, if you've ever been around him, he is – He's an imposing frame, and he's just athletic, and he's a guy that played seven-on-seven in in the pajama pants. I'm ready to see him go in 2024. Uh, I think he is right on schedule. Was a little surprised kind of early on in the season. You know, they didn't utilize him a little bit more, but Joe Milton was the individual. And then you look at Tennessee's offense. We talked about it on Tuesday's show. Lance Hurd coming over, John Campbell coming back. You think those are the bookend tackles. They return a lot of options at wide receiver I think he's going to make some noise in, in 2024 yeah protecting their investment there with Lance Hurd coming over from LSU in the transfer portal one of the best tackles available Drew the other thing about Nico that I love is I think he's has some magic to him in terms of his ability to navigate the pocket I remember writing the report on Nico as a senior coming out he kind of reminded me of Bryce Young not from a physical stature standpoint obviously but you think about Bryce Young and one of his special traits was his ability to continue to extend the play as well within the pocket Nico I think from the athleticism standpoint as a runner quite honestly that kind of surprised me we didn't see uh, him do an awful lot of that uh, out of high school maybe that's something they lean on on uh, as he takes the reins here in 2024. Maybe not. Maybe they try to keep him in the pocket, keep him clean a little bit. All right, Drew, going to number three. How about Keon Keeley, the number one defensive prospect in 2023? Zero snaps at Alabama this past year. Big old goose egg. Well, guess what? He played behind Dallas Turner, projected first-round draft pick in the 2024 draft, and also Chris Braswell as well. So we talked about that edge room in Tuscaloosa, and obviously they're loaded with talent. Uh, Drew, I love Keon Keeley, and a lot of the, a lot of the time we we talk about the player and we talk about the physical upside. Physical upside, excuse me. Truth of the matter is, if if, if they are ranked inside the top five or in this category, we're having this conversation. That means they check every box, right? And Keon Keeley was a box checker to the highest degree. He had a phenomenal week in San Antonio last year. He dominated that setting. This is a guy for me. I get excited about you and I. Really talked about this. You think about players that could potentially benefit from a coaching change from Nick Saban to Kalen DeBoer and everybody thinks about offense in Kalen DeBoer how about Alabama and you think about Braylon Trice and ZTF and some of these guys that they had at Washington as three four stand-up outside linebackers you and I and the rest of the scouting team we had a lot of conversations what is Keon Keeley is a five technique is he going to play in a three-point stance do you play him standing up and I think you and I agree on the consensus that this guy is a lot more comfortable standing up off the edge, playing in a 3-4 system. I think we'll see that from Keon Keeley. And I expect a huge year, not only out of him, but Yonze Pierre as well. Not to say that these guys wouldn't have been successful in the defensive scheme of years past under Nick Saban. I just think this one personally kind of suits these guys' talents a little bit better. I mean, certainly concerning number three prospects in the class zero snaps as a true freshman but we said it as you alluded to i thought alabama was kind of an odd fit for keon keely in terms of what we saw him do at tampa berkeley prep you know i thought he was maybe more of a guy that would be better suited to play right away in a four-man front as opposed to a stand-up guy and i know he did it a little bit at at, at tampa berkeley Um, and then now kaylin DeBoer is coming over You mentioned the pass rushers that have come out of that Washington program really over the past two to three years. And I know you recruited some of them when you were there out there on the West Coast. 
I'm, I'm feeling better about Keon Keeley and what he could be now that Kalen DeBoer is the man running the show in Tuscaloosa and bringing over a ton of that staff from Washington. So two things for me. I want to read the the practice report reports coming out of spring practice there in Tuscaloosa. And then I want to see if Keon Keeley potentially looks around, you know, if anyone's kicking the tires on him. I remember a kid that was committed to Notre Dame, you know, Florida, Florida State, a bunch of other schools were involved in him. Um, and I, I thought Alabama initially kind of was a weird fit for Keon Keeley. So I'm excited that Kalen DeBoer coming over with that defensive staff there uh, in Tuscaloosa. I mean, I'd, I'd, I'd be shocked just, you know, thinking about where he was physically when he came out as a senior and where he's going to be at this point. You talked about spring ball. I think that's a really good barometer of kind of reevaluating and kind of, you know, getting the, the calibration of, all right, and now we got to adjust the expectations of a guy like Keon Keeley. Drew, I expect Keon Keeley uh, to emerge uh, next year in Tuscaloosa as really a guy that could be uh, a potential face of that defense, right? We, we've talked so much about the importance of that Jack linebacker position. Dallas Turner, you go down the list and long lineage of guys that they've had, Will Anderson before him, that is such an important position, but it's also an identity position within that program, and it was under Nick Saban. To me, Keon Keeley, I thought out of all the guys that we really had, I thought he was a clean prospect. I thought he could have played early uh, if circumstances would have allowed. I'd be shocked if this guy is not turning heads next year. And then I'd, you'd almost want to dig into it a little bit more and say, hey, is something off here with this situation? I'm tuning into the Alabama, what is it, A-Day on ESPN? Like, you can just pencil that on the calendar right now. <laughs> I, I, I want to see what he looks like out there. Well, here's the deal. To add context, I brought up Yonze Pierre earlier. Yonze Pierre, guess what? Zero snaps, too, right? Jaquavius Russo, another guy that we liked in the top 70 of our rankings last year, did not play either. James Smith had a couple snaps as well. So you, you think about the talent, you think about the depth of the front seven uh, of Alabama in a place like Georgia. It's not actually an indictment on some of these young guys if they're getting run, but certainly a situation where we'll have our eyes on Keon Keeley, Yonze Pierre, the rest of the group as well. All right, Drew, moving on now to another quarterback. How about Dante Moore, man? This guy took over week one, was inserted early into the game, uh, in, in end of the season, excuse me. Uh, roller coaster, right? Benched, I think, middle of the season, week six, week six, week seven, first three games he played well tailed off there at the end, uh, came back late in the season, never was really kind of able to put it together. Ethan Garbers took the reins back. It just felt kind of wonky at UCLA. You know, I think on paper, I liked to fit a lot more when it initially happened. And then you think about Dante Moore being put in a position, he's playing early. And Drew, let's face it, right? Like, looking back on it, if there's one player that you were to ask me at that position that I thought would be able to handle the pressure of playing early. I would have said Dante Moore. Now, you look at the tape, especially the tape against Utah, a lot of internal pressure, a lot to put on the shoulders of a young quarterback. Maybe the environment wasn't the right situation for him. Fascinating. You fast forward a year later, he's now at Oregon, which he was originally committed to out of high school. He's going to have a year to sit behind Dylan Gabriel. So now he kind of gets this redshirt year back. He's kind of doing the timeline in reverse I don't know, Drew. Like I was thinking about this earlier, you think about a quarterback and a quarterback's confidence. It's a really delicate thing. But I do feel like Dante Moore has kind of course corrected in terms of his trajectory. And I think the best thing that could have happened for Dante Moore was heading up to Eugene, 
taking a little bit of his medicine up there and taking a year to kind of settle things down, figure it out, get under Will Stein, learn under D Dylan Gabriel, and then when the time comes in 2025, he'll be ready. Well, I think what's notable about Dante Moore, you know, you kind of ask people that are familiar with his decision, why he left, why he's ended up at Oregon. You hear that he wants to get better, right? He wants to go somewhere where he can learn and he can be developed. And I think that says a lot. I mean, he's a kid who played in some big moments as a true freshman. And it's not like, oh, I'm transferring where I need to be the number one. He is completely different. He wants to hit pause get that confidence back, like you said, and then be ready to go. So I kind of love this move. And, you know, four games he could appear in and, and you could still redshirt him. And I think if you're Oregon, you know, God forbid something happened to Dylan Gabriel, you got a guy that started five games that can step in. And I, I don't know, Cooper, people pick apart his his freshman season there at UCLA. I think what PFF still had him with 15 big time throws. I thought there were flashes on there. You said it. You know, the offensive line didn't really set him up for the most success in terms of pressure. Uh, this is a guy that was up in up in Detroit and, you know, was protected well throughout his career there. Won 40 games, went 40 and 11 as a, a four year starter. So I'm not worried about Dante Moore at all. You know, I, I don't know for how much we're going to be talking about him come the fall months. But 2025, that's the time when we're going to see what Dante Moore re has really got. Yeah, you think about this the situation at UCLA too, right? Like a lot of uncertainty around Chip Kelly. I mean, his name being linked to offensive well, I, coordinator jobs in the I, NFL, right? I think they had to play him, right? They had to play him. I mean, from what me and you have heard, you know, the NIL figure, uh, I, you, you, you got boosters that pony up for these guys. And you're not winning games. You know, it kind of forces your freshmen onto the field, whether they're ready to go or not. Well, structure, structure matters, right? And having the backbone, I'm not even really talking about Chip Kelly here, but we just talked about Nico. You think about the expectations. Nico was really, at least in, in my mind, the first quarterback that I can remember that signed this big NIL deal, especially right out of high school. A lot of expectations for him. Joe Milton throughout the year was pretty shaky, up and down. You got to give a lot of credit to Josh Heupel because there's people like me, Drew, quite honestly, who know the talent of a player like Nico Amelieva. And you think about Tennessee and all the potential that they have. I was calling for Nico to start that UConn game late in the season. I was ready to kind of see what he had. <laughs> Guess what? There's a reason guys like Josh Heupel and, and, and other coaches uh, who get very well compensated do what they do. I think as a personnel mind, you're always ready to see what you got. But you have to put these guys in the best position to be successful and tying that back in to Dante Moore. Dante Moore is a guy we saw a little bit of Ethan Garbers right in week one. And then after that, it's a it's a quick change to Dante Moore. You start him for six weeks. You go through the the uh, expected growing pains of a true freshman starting quarterback, and then you sit him. And now it's kind of a I don't know. It just it's it's a strange feeling you get about Dante Moore and his potential development uh, uh, that's ahead of him. But the good thing, like you said, Drew, gets to reset in Eugene. I think that's the best thing for him going forward. So. Three signal callers within the top four. We've talked all about them here, Drew. All three of them couldn't have taken any more different paths than what we've just talked about. So that's going to be fascinating to watch. How about the offensive tackles? Because we got a couple here. Caden Proctor comes in as a true freshman from Iowa, our number one rated 
offensive lineman in 2023. And Drew, I think fair to say that he met expectations. Also fair to say that he went through his growing pain starting every game in the SEC as a true freshman at the left tackle position. That's a hard thing to do. It's a hard thing to do in the SEC West. So after one year playing under Nick Saban, he's now back at home with the Iowa Hawkeyes. Drew, I kind of like that fit as well. Iowa's got a lot to figure out uh, in terms of what they are going to be from the offensive identity standpoint going forward. But that being said, this is not a total shock. I, was, I, I wasn't surprised. I think we thought Proctor was one of the, 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 the most day one ready prospects uh, available in the 2023 class. Obviously, he kind of went uh, through a little bit of everything last year. But that being said, man, you think about his outlook going into year two, it's hard to find offensive linemen that have that type of experience at 18, 19 years of age. He's the first one so far. You're like, yep, first round pick, correct? I mean, this is a guy that you feel the best about, especially with him heading to Iowa. And we know what they do in terms of player development. We know what they do in terms of that strength program. Uh, I, I think early on, you look at the PFF grades, you watch the game. Yeah, there were some lumps in there. But he played his best football down the stretch for the Crimson Tide. This is the guy we thought he is. You know, it's going to be, I still think, and we're going to get to him here in a second, him and Francis Mawanoa, you want to talk about a ton of internal debate behind the scenes about which guy we wanted as our number one ranked ta tackle in that 2023 cycle. I think we got it right so far, uh, but him and Mawanoa, I think, are going to go back and forth, back and forth. Uh, zero questions about Caden Proctor coming out of uh, that inaugural campaign. Well, we'll, we'll talk a, a little bit about uh, Mawanoa, obviously Caleb Downs as well. But if you if you were to think about right, the eight players that we're talking about today, the three that you feel the most confident in in terms of their NFL projection, I think that would fairly have to say you'd feel pretty confident in Caden Proctor, you'd feel very confident in Francis Mawanoa, and then Caleb Downs already, right? So those guys, immediate impact players. And Drew, let's talk about Francis Mawanoa. How about starting all 13 games at right tackle for the Miami Hurricanes? You talk about a guy from day one that Mario Cristobal has leaned on going to be the face of this program moving forward. Drew, these guys were pretty different, right? It's not like Caden Proctor was his prototypical left tackle. I think we think that he could end up playing on the right side. We thought Francis Malanoa maybe gave up a little bit of length, but really kind of had the attributes to play the left side. Caden Proctor ends up playing the left. Francis Malanoa ends up playing the right. That being said, man, I mean, as much as you can put on a freshman tackle's plate, just like Alabama and, and Miami have put on Caden Proctor and Francis Mawanoa. Francis Mawanoa, to me, Drew, uh, just from day one, has completely set the tone of what type of player he's going to be. It feels like Penay Soulish, right, who Mario had at Oregon. That's what Mar This is what Francis Mawanoa kind of feels like. And you talk about a team that wants to build their identity at the point of attack. To me, he's the perfect face for that franchise. Yeah, and I think it was day one of spring practices. He started on the second team, and by day two, he was with the starters, and he never relinquished that spot all season long. Now, he's the real deal. I, I think he's exactly what he thought uh, we thought he was. And for Miami, you know, one of the reasons why Mario Cristobal was brought in was to improve the trenches, but it was also to get – NFL talent to Coral Gables. And I think when you look at Mauanoa, 
it's a guy that's definitely going to play on Sundays, barring some unforeseen setback. So uh, it was a monster win at the time. You know, I, I thought, would there be some growing pain? Sure. But uh, another guy where he got better as the season went along. And I think if you're a fan, a college football fan, you know, if they throw a freshman tackle into the fire, yes, it's, it's going to suck for a few games. But think about what the payoff is going to be year two, year three, and potentially year four. I mean, that is a guy that you put in Sharpie in your lineup and you don't really worry about him. Yeah, pretty uh, tremendous thinking about Mawanoa and also uh, Caden Proctor. You think about the year before, Will Campbell, Emory Jones. I mean, those guys, they take their lumps, right? That's part of playing big boy football. But you think about that payoff. You talked about that. How about LSU? Joe Moore Award finalist there. Miami, Alabama trying to get it right on the offensive line. We go back to the skill position. How about Zachariah Branch, man, who, who captivated college football for a couple weeks every time he touched the ball, Drew? I remember you get on social media, people are like, man, I have not held my breath like this watching a guy like Zachariah Branch maybe since Reggie Bush played football that's the type of impact he had he was the only player in the country that had a kickoff return for a touchdown and a punt return for a touchdown last year Drew he was fourth in receiving on a loaded USC skill position um Drew, the expectations uh, for this guy were through the roof I think the only thing that really kind of gave us pause is this ranking for this caliber of player at that size, it just felt like a lot. But every time you dug in deeper, you dug in deeper, there were no holes in his game. And then the other part about this, Drew, that I think is important, you bring up the special teams, right? And he is special on special teams. So if you want to validate the ranking a little bit, it's not only what he can do as a utility piece in your offense in the passing game, but the way that he can change a complexion of a game just like that when it comes to return specialists is kind of what makes Zachariah Branch unique. We saw a little bit of that as a freshman. Flips the field, chunk play machine. You mentioned it. I mean, he's what, under under five foot ten. I think one of the reasons why we felt so comfortable putting him up where we did in the rankings is because he's he's rocked up. He's muscled up. And he was a guy that was on my freaks list uh, in that 2023 cycle, someone that uh, power cleans 315 pounds. I mean, if you spend time around him and you can't really see it in the pads, he is thick. Uh, and you knew he was going to be able to get on the field in some different way. I think we oftentimes overlook the ability to play special teams. You brought it up. I mean, his his just how he can make it make it make a chunk play when you need him. I, I think the sky is the limit for Branch uh, and Coop. I'm going to throw this at at you. Where would he rank? amongst the wide receivers in the 2024 cycle. Because think about it, we got three in the top 10. At, at the top, Jeremiah Smith, Cam Coleman, and then you got Ryan Williams. I think he might be number four for me. I think but you he, can make a case be three or two. Yeah, I, I, I think the case for me would be either two or three, right? I, I think the other thing that you go back to is his ability on special teams. That kind of makes him different. You, you look at Jeremiah Smith, not known for his return ability. Same with Cam Coleman. The one guy that he kind of fits into the same bucket with uh, a little bit when you're considering all these guys uh, is a guy like Ryan Williams, uh, who's definitely a guy that's a game changer. Um, but you, Drew, you talked about it. You talked about the frame a little bit. You talked 
talked about his ability to have an immediate impact at the next level. You wonder a little bit, okay, what's the upside kind of look like? But even if Zachariah Branch were to, to stay on this same trajectory, this would be a guy that would be highly coveted, especially in the NFL ranks. I think the combination of what Cam Coleman can give you from a size, speed, athleticism standpoint would probably be too hard to pass up. That being said, what do we have? Ryan Williams at number eight. I'd probably slide Zachariah Branch right there. He wouldn't be too far. And, you know, the, the other thing about this is, right, like beauty's in the eye of the beholder, right? That's me. I might have him at two or three. You might have him at number four. There might be somebody who says, you know what, I like him at number one. It all kind of depends what your vision is for the player and then obviously the type of people and, and type of skill players and uh, compliments that you're going to surround him with as well. So good hypothetical question. Love that. Uh, and, Drew, the last one here. Needs no introduction. How about Caleb Downs, PFF darling, a guy that was a freshman All-American, maybe the smartest, toughest, most instinctive player in all of college football, a guy that was being compared to all-pro Minka Fitzpatrick, who also uh, was one of the best players uh, in Alabama history, I think you could say, in terms of the secondary. Um, So a lot of high praise for Caleb Downs. One and done in Tuscaloosa. He ends up transferring to Ohio State. I mean, what more can you say about him, Drew? We, we talked about him as the safest prospect in 2023, and we said things like, well, he's more high floor than high ceiling, almost like it was a negative. Dude, this guy comes out and just absolutely delivers on every superlative, every description adjective that we threw at him. And not only did he deliver, he exceeded on expectations. He's, he's truly, truly special. That's exactly what I was going to say. Somehow he managed to be better than I thought he could be year one. I mean, SEC freshman of the year, led Alabama in snaps on the defensive side of the ball. I mean, take a step back and just kind of marinate on that. I mean, Alabama was in the college football playoff, and you can debate whether or not they should have been there. Uh, But on one of the more talented defenses we have seen in Tuscaloosa in recent years, this guy was the energizer bunny on the back end. I mean, it's it's kind of remarkable. And then you dig back into the profile. I mean, Caleb Downs, Cooper, you know, he wasn't someone where we had a bunch of data on him in terms of like the 40-yard dash, the measurements and all that stuff. I mean, we were leaning heavily on the tape, what we saw, the bloodlines. Uh, he was not a multi-sport guy. I mean, he, was, he technically was not this big box checker where it's not always important, but if you're going to shoot a guy up in the rankings, you like to have that peace of mind knowing the entire package, right? Knowing that this guy has this going on for him. Caleb Downs didn't really have much, but the tape was so good. Uh, the in-person evaluations were so good. The feedback from his high school coaches was so good. And then you spend some time around him and you're like, this guy is wired the right way. I mean, look at his brother, what he did in his rookie season with the Indianapolis Colts. I mean, it all makes sense. I think he's a good reminder in the evaluation process that sometimes you got to trust your eyes and not get so caught up you know in oh he's a four four six guy on uh, on the lasers or whatnot all right drew we just went through one through eight uh of the former five stars last year in 2023 gave you a brief rundown right of you the audience at home drew i would ask you as the director of scouting and this is what we do we look back on our work and we kind of say all right well how do we feel about it drew i want to ask you there's one through eight right there a year later, how do you feel about the first eight names that came off the board last year in 2023? Feeling good. I think Keon Keeley's the big question mark for me. Um, but 
We did not think he was year one impact player. I said it. I want to watch Alabama's A-Day game. I want to see where uh, what Keon Keeley looks like physically and just read the reports in practice. You know, is he working with the ones? Is he working with the twos? You mentioned it. Yonze Pierre is there. I mean, these guys are playing behind Dallas Turner, Chris Braswell, who's headed to the senior bowl. I wouldn't be surprised if he makes some noise in some NFL scouting circles here in the coming weeks and you start seeing him in those uh, top 64 mock drafts, you know, the, the first and second round mock drafts. So I'm feeling good about it. What, what about you? Because primarily, I think we got the two offensive tackles right, and I'm feeling feeling fine about the quarterbacks. Yeah, I think Keeley's interesting. I feel good about Keeley because, one, he hasn't transferred. Not, I don't mean that as, you know, negative. I just like the fact that he's staying the course. And things can change, and they can change rapidly. But – we talk so much about the players, and I, and I guess I don't know if I did a good enough job kind of tying this in earlier. I love so much about Keon Keeley, the person. We talked about him and his fit at Notre Dame. We thought that was an ideal fit uh, for everything that Marcus Freeman has built that program up to be. Goes down to Alabama. Drew, I just think the way that this guy is wired, being around him in person, especially spending that week in San Antonio, that this is a guy that's got a better feel on the game, understanding the importance of balancing the long-term versus the short-term and is not going to make an impulsive and emotional decision when it comes to his career, right? So the dust has settled a little bit after Kalen DeBoer. I like the fact that he's going to stick it out at Alabama. Like I said, we'll see what happens after the spring. But I, I also believe that these were conversations that had to have happened, right, with guys like Keon Keeley, Yonsei Pierre, Quay Russo, where they knew and they understood, hey, this is not necessarily a situation where we are going to expect to contribute and have an early impact at a high level because we know we have guys like Dallas Turner and Chris Braswell we have a lot to learn from. So we'll see. I, I do feel good. I love the top eight. Mauanoa, quite honestly, I think it's a coin flip, but at the end of the day, I wouldn't be surprised two years from now if the two tackles are flipped. I feel really, really good about Nico. And like I said, a lot of credit uh, to Tennessee in the way that they've handled that development. I feel completely comfortable uh, with Arch Manning and, and his trajectory and also feel like you talked about the Manning family earlier. Um, I like the fact that these guys are on schedule. The only other one who's off schedule right now to me kind of feels like Dante Moore. We talked about the course correction a little bit. I'm really kind of fascinated uh, to kind of see what happens with his trajectory because we have not seen much of that right to play six games uh go into the transfer portal sit a year and then come back uh it gives me hope what dan lanning and will stein have been able to do with bo nix uh, i think it's a really healthy situation for him and then you know they're going to be able to protect him they're also going to be able to surround him with a lot of playmakers so one through eight i feel really good about right i guess we'll come back next year and kind of see uh what we think about this again guys we did one through eight here the good thing is we'll go all the way to 32. Next week will be 9 through 16, revisiting these 2023 five stars. We hope you enjoy that. And guys, like I said, I've talked about the uh, promotional schedule so much that I feel like you guys pretty much know it at this point. Thursday, make sure to tune, tune in to the 24-7 Sports YouTube channel. Live programming. Just, you know, I'm not sure what it's going to be. You can shake it up, and one day it would be me and Andrew. One day it might be somebody else, but we'll be there, I promise. 5 o'clock Eastern time, make sure to join. All right, Drew, we're going to wrap this up with some viewer questions. We had some great viewer questions yesterday. Uh, we'll also talk about a quick little commitment as well uh, in the 2025 class. But the viewer question 
today. I like this one a lot. Who signs more four or five stars over the next three years between these four programs? Wisconsin, Nebraska, Washington, Michigan State. Thank you at RUW126 for the question. Drew, what do you think? I love this question. Um, I initially read it as who signs more five stars. Uh, and I think I was going to go with Nebraska. Well, because they just signed a five-star in Dylan Riola. Uh, but you got to bring in the other blue chippers, the, the, the four-star recruits. I think it's really two of them, right? Wisconsin and, and Nebraska. Um, but you can make a case for Michigan State, and you can make a case for Washington. I think it would be a bit naive to undersell Jed Fish's recruiting ability. Remember when he was hired at Arizona, we're all like, all right, I don't really get this. I don't understand this. And then look at what they were able to do on the recruiting trail last cycle, this cycle. Now, obviously, most of those guys are headed to follow him um, out to out to UW. So I think it's between Wisconsin and, and Nebraska. Uh, I know what your answer is, Cooper. You're going with Wisconsin. So I'm going to say Nebraska. Uh, just Matt Rule, you know, I think he's got the right vision there in terms of talent identification, going after guys with high upside. Uh, they have one of the fastest signing classes in America. You know, if you go and look at tracking football and, and, and guys that do track and field. Um, so I'm going to go with Nebraska, but, you know, could make a case for any one of them. Thank you for answering that question for me. Um, we've gotten to the point where we do this so often now, and then we also talk throughout the week as well. Now you can read my mind. Yeah, I'm going to go with Wisconsin. I love Wisconsin. Here's the thing. I don't even think Wisconsin's one of those teams that's like uh, aiming to recruit uh, from a public perception standpoint. I think Wisconsin's one of those teams where, Drew, you and I at the end of the year, are, we're able to kind of catch our breath, and we're, we're going through these different recruiting classes, and we're like, oh, there are four or five guys that have maybe come up on our radar very late in the process that Wisconsin's just done a phenomenal job in terms of the early ID and digging out, and they know what fits them. I mean, man, they stuck with a guy like Ernest Weiler. I really like Kevin Hayward, uh, shot up our board late. Um, you think about some of the other guys as well. Jay Harper from State of Alabama, long corner. We don't have a four-star grade on him, but that's another guy. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if that guy goes to Wisconsin, develops, and is a you know day two, day three guy at the end of the day. Uh, the tackle out of Minnesota uh, that we really like that I'm blanking on the name. So Wisconsin's just one of those teams, like they're just comfortable in their own skin. Like I love teams where you can look at the list of commits on paper and say, that's it. These guys know who they are. They know what they're looking for, right? Um, and they're very strategic, not only from a geographical standpoint, they don't go with outside their means, right? They don't get distracted by eye candy. They say, this is us. These are the areas of the country that we feel like we can excel. We're a player development uh, program. Drew, they're a little bit of Michigan with like high definition, right? Um, they're a pretty fascinating team to follow. I just th I think Fix just got the recipe, man, and I'm I'm really excited about these dudes. Like I would not be shocked within two to three years, and I say three years kind of as a caveat. If these guys kind of sneak in in a 12-team playoff, I, I I think he can get them right that quick. What I also love about this question, right? You think about all four of these programs. Uh, Nebraska's obviously. I mean. Nebraska's where it is, Washington's where it is, Wisconsin, Michigan State. I mean, those are not exactly 
hotbeds for NFL talent. And if you pull the data in terms of where draft picks have come from over the past five years, I think the only one that's close to double digits is going to be the state of Michigan. Um, so I think that's what makes it unique as well in terms of what the talent pool is in these guys' backyards. And I think Matt Rule at Nebraska, since he's been there, He's done an excellent job of kind of trying to put up a fence in that 500-mile radius. Malachi Coleman last cycle, Carter Nelson this cycle. Um, so I think that's what also makes this unique. You know, what does Jed Fish do once he sets up shop there? You know, I'm assuming they're going to be super active in the state of California. You know, when he was at Arizona, they weren't afraid to go to Florida and look for some hidden gems. So. Uh, what about Michigan State? I, we haven't really discussed them and, and what they got going on there, too. I think there's a potential. But then you look at what that staff did at Oregon State, and we're, it really wasn't a ton of four uh, in five-star prospects. Yeah, it's kind of funny because they were they were super portal-heavy, like, to start. And, you know, as he started building credibility on the field, they I felt like Oregon State was at this point, you know, they end up pulling uh, Aiden Childs had a couple other recruiting wins as well. You're starting to look at Oregon State and you said, all right, they're really starting to get uh, the, the high school side of their recruiting process, really starting to kind of get it ramped up a little bit. And then. Jonathan Smith takes a job at Michigan State. So the culmination of, of both of those sides kind of colliding at the perfect point in time. For Oregon State, Jonathan Smith, his hand is kind of forced. Do you understand why he would make the move? But it kind of leaves this question mark, all right, like what is Michigan State going to be, right? And I think Jonathan Smith has always kind of fit into this bucket where we have schools like Wisconsin and Nebraska, like these programs, they have to be card counters to a certain point, right? They're not going to win uh, these battles head-to-head -head with Ohio State, Michigan, and Penn State. So they have to be a little bit more selective uh, and a little bit smarter and a little bit keener and a little bit more efficient and a little bit more aggressive. And they have to pull the trigger with less information earlier in the process. It's a difficult place to be. But if you have the right resources in place and you also understand where you fit on the college football hierarchy – there's a, there's a lot of benefit to that as well. So I, I am pretty fascinated with the staff that has you know, majority ties to the Pacific Northwest, how they're going to do in the Midwest. I, if I were them, Drew, I mean, I was looking through state by state uh, NFL draft capital last year, like teams or excuse me, states that produced the most NFL draft picks. Illinois was up there. I think they were like in the top six or seven, right? I think they had double-digit draft picks last year, if I'm not mistaken. Um, the Midwest, between Michigan, Ohio, Illinois, uh, you even get into to Indiana a little bit. Like, if you do it right, there's enough to go around, right? So I think, obviously – making the high school a little bit of a focal point. And I think that's what, what, what Fickle has done a tremendous job is making the high school 60, 70% of what you do and then sprinkling in the transfer portal, uh, understanding where your weaknesses are, maybe based on geography uh, of where you might have to add some different attributes to your roster uh, via the portal. But I think all these programs like Matt Rule, Luke Fickle, Jonathan Smith, like they're all super crafty dudes. Like they're, they're all have like a very uh, keen awareness of kind of where their program fits. Right. Um, and I, I think it makes for a really interesting kind of like second layer uh, battle behind the scenes of these guys kind of all kind of like cross pollinating. 
we need to get like a tracker going from like this day on. Um, final thing on this on this subject, right? So Nebraska was my answer with Matt Rule. You know, you saw what he did at Baylor, Temple. I mean, the amount of NFL draft picks is is just through the roof. But with Wisconsin, Kevin Haywood, I had this conversation with him at the All American Bowl, and he, you know, the top two four seven offensive tackle for us was a big mover. Headed to Madison, and I straight up asked him, I'm like, how, I'm like, you are a kid from the state of Pennsylvania. How are you not going to Penn State? Did Penn State not want you? And he's like, well, they recruited me. Um, you know, my sister goes to school there. I checked it out. But then I visited Wisconsin, and I just fell in love with the city of Madison. And I'm paraphrasing here uh, in the direction that that Fickle has that program going. So I think all four of these of these schools that were, were asked about, Nebraska, Wisconsin, uh, Washington, Michigan State, for them, it's, it's important on getting in early on these high upside guys and finding people that fit your building. And I think what's, what's crazy is all four of these head coaches have the capability of doing that. Oh, for sure. And like I said, it's going to be interesting to kind of see these guys duke it out over the next couple of years. Obviously, Matt Rule uh, going into his second year of his tenure. Same with Luke Fickle as well. Now you have Jonathan Smith arriving there, too. So, Drew, there was also uh, an early commitment this morning in 2025. We're still covering 2025 here. Ari Watford, the number 20 player in the country, the number two edge out of the Virginia area. He commits to Dabo Sweeney and Clemson. We know Clemson not going to be um, – not going to be overly aggressive when it comes to uh, dipping into the transfer portal, right? So the high school ranks very important for them. Drew a lot to like here. Over six foot five, uh, I think he's got a six foot eight wingspan as well. Watched the tape yesterday. Got to write him up. Um, a lot of tools there. I think this is a guy best football ahead of him. Still a long ways to go, right? In terms of the physical, technical development as well. Nonetheless, love the idea of the player, and you can see why Clemson would pounce on this guy early. Yeah, I mean, in this era, I think it's a big deal that that Clemson got Ari Watford so early on. And, you know, normally when Clemson gets a commitment, uh, those kids stick. And this one kind of out of the blue, right? You know, just a, a Wednesday Wednesday announcement from Hayes Fawcett. Um, I think it's a big deal for sure, Cooper. And, and with Watford, you know, you look at his sophomore tape compared to his junior tape. I th- thought he took a major step forward and it's so early for us in the in the 2025 rankings but he is one of our favorite edge rushers at this stage and we'll see how it how it shakes out but for for Clemson I mean this is this is certainly one to celebrate because like I said I mean normally when those kids commit they end up sticking I mean they are part of that that Clemson family they're going there for the culture uh they're quote unquote all in and I think that's I think that's the term that Ari Watford used. So a, a big domino in my eyes. Dabo and the boys getting it rolling on the high school recruiting trail. Guys, that about does it for us. Please make sure to like and subscribe to the show. Remember, every Tuesday and Wednesday, you can find the Oyster Boys on the 24-7 Sports YouTube channel. Guys, we appreciate you joining us. As always, for Andrew Ivins, I'm Cooper Patagna. We'll see you next week. From producers Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, explore how art and music sustained hope during the siege of Sarajevo, thanks in part to humanitarians and the band U2. Kiss the Future, new documentary now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Go to Paramount Plus to try it free. Terms apply.